So I really am excited to share this morning. I do have something to share that has been um, just kind of burning within me. And this process of putting together this message has even just brought more out that I'm so excited to share. Um, But I wanted to start this morning um, by showing everybody what was going on in our family last weekend. Metamorphosis of God, that's the title of my sermon. Sorry. Okay. Um, This is my husband, Heath. Uh, Last weekend, we weren't at church because he was uh, in a cycling race where he took first place. That's him in the center of the podium. And uh, now this is something that he puts a lot of time and effort and hard work into. He spends a lot of hours on his bicycle, a lot of them in the basement in the winter, um, putting in the time and the effort um, to just get better, to excel, to be the best that he can be. So it's really exciting just when you get to take first and when you get to see the rewards and the fruit of your efforts. And so this is what was happening last weekend. And now um, I had planned to attend with our kids. We have three kids. Um, they're little ones, just little elementary age. But um, as we know, the weather in Colorado can be crazy. And it ended up being in the 30s that morning. Now, it didn't stop him from getting on his bike and riding, but it did stop me um, from going with the kids uh, to the race because it involves a couple hours of standing by the side of the road, um, just kind of waiting for someone to go by at you know, 30 miles an hour, and then you wait uh, some more. And so I just, I just didn't have it in me to get out there with the kids to get bundled up and do it. So I stayed home, and uh, a typical thing that happens when just a mom stays home with her kids is you look around and say, this place is a mess. Let's take this opportunity to clean it up. Um, So I stayed home and I cleaned the house. And not just picked up the house, but cleaned the house, right? There's a difference with that. Um, So the kids picked, we got everything, every surface was cleaned. Everything was off the floor. The dining room table was clean. The kitchen counters were clean. I mean, the whole thing, like you could just take a, a 360 panorama of the house and it was beautiful. And even if it only lasted for 10 minutes, I felt this tremendous sense of accomplishment and pride about, like, this is something that I did, and it's beautiful. Because I was the one that saw what it looked like beforehand. It, it was a wreck. It was a tornado. And so, um, let me see. I think I have a picture here of... Wait a minute. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a problem. We don't, we don't have it. Okay. Um, so there isn't... We didn't get it. Okay. Um, well, wait a minute. This is a little bit embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I just realized that I don't actually have a photographer um, following me around, documenting my cleaning wins. Um, (laughs) This may be true in your life, but it's not true in mine. Uh, You see, I'm currently a stay-at-home mom, but a better uh, description of my job would be a domestic servant. So I have been doing this now full-time for the past five years. And... All throughout the day, you know, Nina went over this a couple weeks ago of everything a mom does. I cook, I'm a waitress, a busboy, a dishwasher, a safety monitor, a nurse, a maid, a chauffeur, a social secretary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when I first became a stay-at-home mom, um, it was a struggle and it was hard for me. And I nearly lost my mind. Like, I would have what I consider um, a mini breakdown. 
you know? And I think I put those words like nearly lost my mind or mini breakdown because I'm just trying to like say, it wasn't that big a deal. That wasn't, no, really it was. It was hard for me. Um, I had never been in a position of day in, day out, night in, night out, full-time service before. I was in my mid-30s and I had never experienced that. Um, I was working harder at something that I had worked at anything in my whole life. And I struggled with that work being unseen and unappreciated. And I'm not saying that I deserve a medal for every time I clean a toilet, but I am living with somebody now who literally brings home medals, okay? My husband works at this thing really hard and it's his passion and he puts himself into it and he goes out and, and does his thing, and he comes through the door with medals, right? And my kids get excited, and they, and they, you know, every time he goes to a ride or a race, and they, you know, he walks in the door like, Daddy, did you get a medal? You know, and, and sometimes it's no, but sometimes it's yes, I got a medal, and he holds it out, and the kids are so excited, and they try them on, and they wear them in, around the house, and they fight over who gets to wear the medal. Like, it's, it's a big deal, right? And so this is the juxtaposition of of what I'm living with. <laughs> Somebody that literally gets medals. While at the same time, I'm dealing you know, with the fact, it just brings that stuff up in me, of I'm unseen and I'm unappreciated, and I'm working harder at anything than I've ever done in my life. I've stepped out into something that's, that's new and hard and challenging. Um, so it's hard. And so eventually I came to a place where I knew that I had to do something because the stuff was coming up. And you can't live like that for long. Um, so I joined a mops group. I got support. I found a new rhythm, you know, to my day and to my life. I learned new skills. And I discovered that I really did have it in me to do this job that God put before me. And for me personally, it was God-directed. Um, he uh, told me that... Um, my place was to be home with my kids. I knew this before I had any kids. Heath and I had talked about this and we were in agreement about it. And I knew that this was God's plan for me, that when we had kids that I would stay home. But it took me until my third kid to actually pull the trigger and do it. <laughs> it really came down to finances too. It wasn't so much of me just being obedient to God and what he was saying. It was, well, we can't afford to work anymore because three kids in daycare, it's just too much money. You know? So that helped me to be obedient to what God was saying. Um, so it was a specific plan and path for my life that I was stepping into. And over these last five years, I've grown tremendously. Um, you know, as I look back, I look back at the hard times, but I'm also grateful for um, the growth that I have experienced. Um, just, I was thinking in my ability to put others' needs above my own. I had never been in a, a position where I was doing that every day. Um, my ability to be patient, I grew in, to speak kindly. All these things in dealing with little kids, I've grown in. And I wouldn't say I'm an expert in these things, but um, I think the change has really been major in me. And now, though, I'm looking forward to the fall when all three of my kids will be in school full-time. I'm looking forward to getting out of the house and leaving full-time domestic service behind me. It feels like a new season is beginning for me, and I'm excited about it. So right in this place where I'm feeling this transition, my book club reads a book called Kisses from Katie. This book right here. Um, and we get together once a month and talk about the books that we've read in our book club. And this book just messed me up. 
in speaking directly to where I am right now. You see, it's a story of a 19-year-old girl. This is her, Katie Davis. And she takes a trip to Uganda. Um, because she feels prompted by God, she has this really strong feeling that this is just something she needs to do. And she ends up adopting 13 girls there as a 20-year-old. And she starts a feeding program, feeding hundreds of kids, um, school sponsorship programs, sending kids to school, and so much more. Um, Hers is a life of day in, day out, night in, night out service to her 13 children and the ones whom God directs um, across her path. And I was just amazed by her story and felt this really strong connection to it. You know, she didn't just um, start like an orphanage for these girls. Like she went through the formal governmental adoption program to be their mother forever at 20 years old. And this is not what she um, knew was going to happen. She didn't feel like she was called to be a mother before she went there. All she knew is that she was to take the step to go. And she took that step and this amazing plan unfolded before her where she just said yes to the next thing and yes to the next thing. And, and it's just this amazing story. So I encourage you to, to pick up this book. It's a really quick read. Um, so, but I was amazed by her story and felt connected to it because she is a girl who is living her life to the fullest by giving it away in service to others. And I just wept when I read it because I realized that this life of day-in, day-out service that I am trying to leave behind me, where I was challenged and stretched and struggled and brought to my breaking point, where I felt unseen and unappreciated and had to rely on God to get through it and to grow, was actually a model for the rest of my life. That this is what I was made for. You see, we were made for love, And we're made of love. And love finds its full expression when it's given away. And this doesn't mean that I'm going to be, you know, that I feel like God is telling me to to stay in my home and to stay in that um, position of domestic service to my kids and my house and my husband. But it does mean that whatever God-breathed adventure I step into next will require the giving away of my life, of my love, in service to others. I should expect nothing less from God. I will struggle, and it will stretch me. I'll have to rely on God to get through it and to grow. And in the end, I know I will discover that I did have it in me all along to do the thing God had before me because I was made for that very thing. We are made of love, and we are made to love. Now, I don't know why it took me so long to get this. I've, I was raised in church, and I've been involved in ministry my whole life. I've been a missionary living in foreign countries, doing things where, um, at the time, I would have considered, this is me giving my whole life away in love. But I think it wasn't until I became a parent that I really was stretched beyond my, what I perceived to be my own abilities, my own limitations, um, what I thought I was capable of and had to rely on God to get through it, and his power, and his grace, and discovering what was truly in me. That was my first time, just being a mom in my mid-30s, that I experienced that. And so I guess all I can say is that it's a process. 
And I feel like I've been in a process now for a few years as a direct result of the teaching that we have been receiving from our pastors here in this church. And I'm so grateful. Um, They flipped my world upside down. You guys really have these teachings that have been coming out of this church for the past few years, teachings on identity and love and rest, Um, the good news. These things have been rattling around inside of me, um, doing a deep work, a deeper work than I realized what was happening. You know, when Jeff would hold a book up and say, you should read this book, I would go get that book and read it, and then I would make my book club read that book, you know? And we'd sit around and discuss it, and I would just have this feeling that as we were discussing these in book club, that there is just something kind of deeper going on in me than maybe the others at the table that are reading this book. Like, I knew that something was changing inside of me. In fact, these teachings have affected me to the point where I feel a pressure on the inside of me for something to come out. Um, The image that comes to mind is of bursting. It's of a dam that is swelling because it can no longer contain the water that's behind it. And I think what is happening in me, like a light bulb has gone off recently, is transformation. The Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's exactly what these new messages that we've been having um, preached to us are doing in us. They're renewing our minds to thinking in a, in a whole new way about things that we have maybe just thought the same our whole life. It's, it's all new. It's brand new. So I want to take a look at this word, transformation. So the word transformation in Greek in the New Testament is metamorpho. Now this meta means together with God or after being with God. And morpho here is taking on the form that properly embodies a particular inner essence. Now, now sometimes when I look up a definition of something, I have to look up the definition of the words within that definition to even understand what it's talking about. Um, So here I looked up the word embodies. So we know we're taking on a form that properly embodies a particular inner essence. So what does it mean to embody something? So this embody means to be an expression of or give a tangible or visible form to. So... My definition now of metamorpho, of transformation, is this. To take on a visible or tangible form that properly expresses one's inner essence. So love looks like something, is what this says to me. The love of God transformed in us, it looks like something. It feels like something. This pressure I feel, this feeling of bursting, This love inside of me, the love inside of you, its goal is for us to have a tangible, visible form that expresses who it is. That is the natural process of metamorphosis, of transformation. What's on the inside to find a visible, tangible form on the outside to show what it is. And now, the classic example of metamorphosis is the butterfly. So here. I'm sure y'all saw this coming, right? So from the very beginning, 
uh, a caterpillar is a butterfly. It has the essence, the DNA of a butterfly within it. It is just the outer form that changes through its transformation. And this occurs when the caterpillar makes a cocoon and inside that cocoon, a process is at work changing the outer form of the animal into one that expresses in a visible, tangible way its inner essence. It's an inside-out process. The work being done on the inside of the cocoon only reaches its goal when the butterfly comes out and flies. The cycle is not complete until this happens. So this transformation of love that I believe I am experiencing is not fulfilling its purpose until that love is expressed in tangible, visible ways. We are all butterflies born to fly, whether we realize it yet or not. And while the time in the cocoon is encouraging and it's been healing for me and comfortable and revelatory, there really is not much point in being a butterfly if we don't break out of our cocoons and fly. So now with this newfound discovery that giving my life and love away is actually my path forward and not just part of my history as a stay-at-home mom, that, is, that this is actually meant to be my way of life, I have been stretching my wings lately in little small ways to try and break out of my cocoon to give a tangible, visible expression of the love of God to those around me. And already early in this journey, I've learned a few things that I want to share with you. Okay, so the first thing is that what we think about ourselves matters. See, when I try to step out into something new or to loving someone new, I get flooded with thoughts about how I'm not qualified, about I have no idea about what I'm doing, this is new territory, I have no experience or training, or this is a classic that somebody else would be so much better than I would be at this thing. In fact, God, I can list like five to 10 people who I know that would just be awesome at this thing. You know, so who am I that I should try and do this? And here's a big one too, and this, this hits me hard. But because I am a mom with small kids, I disqualify myself before I even get out of the gate. Because I got these little people with me all the time, 24 seven. So how can I possibly have anything left in me to give. You know, and I even have said, you know, sometimes that it's a blessing when I don't show up to things because like we're crazy. We are a loud family. I'm sure you've heard my kids playing on the jump around. If you hear screaming this morning while in the sanctuary, that's my children. Like we're loud. We can come like a wrecking ball into places. And so I think like, it's just kind of a blessing if we don't show up. Like you're welcome. You're welcome. We decided to to take the morning off and stay home. Like, this is how I can bless the world, by just containing my children and not causing a scene. So these are the things that I I tell myself and I end up believing. And here's one too. After all, Jesus didn't have children, right? He was able to do all the stuff that he did because he was um, unencumbered and unhindered. He just had this freedom. He wasn't married. I mean, that's one too, right? He was just able to live this life that God had for him because he wasn't encumbered by all those things. Now, what we think about ourselves does have tremendous power and consequences. So much so, in fact, that it triggered something known as the fall. So 
We're going to go back to the garden for a minute, to our genesis, our origin. And it's something that we do often here. Nina did it just two weeks ago, took us back to the garden and took us back to the scene there. And the reason we do like taking an ancestry DNA test. I don't know if anybody here has ever done that. Raise your hand if you've taken one of those ancestry tests. Okay, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? So the hope is to find out where you came from, what you're made up of on the inside, to have a greater sense of identity. Um, so looking back at the garden, it's like taking one of those ancestry DNA tests. Our origin reveals our identity. So um, go with me now to where Adam and Eve in the gar- are in the garden, and they're talking to a snake about a tree, that God told them not to eat from. And the serpent says that God has told them not to eat of that particular tree because he knows that if they do, their eyes will be open and they will become like God. And the sin of Adam, we are taught, if you were uh, taught anything like I was, is that he is prideful. And he believes the lie of the serpent that a mere human could become like God. And because of that sin of pride, we are taught, all of humanity fell. Well, what if the fall wasn't about pride at all, but a fall of our identity? You see, the snake did lie and deceive and twist Adam into thinking there was something that he needed to do, something more he needed to become in order to be like God. That was the lie that Adam wasn't already like God when he was created in his very image and likeness. Now, we hear those words a lot, image and likeness. And sometimes when we hear words a lot, they can tend to lose their meaning. Um, Words such as when I tell my kids, um, pick up your toys, put your shoes on, get in the car, it's time to go. These are ones that have completely lost meaning in my house. It's time for bed, go get ready for bed. Go to the bathroom, get water, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth. Um, These elicit no response from our children whatsoever, right? They hear these words every single day, nothing. It's like, like, you know, Heath hasn't even said it to them. So, um, So these words, image and likeness, when we hear them a lot, we can forget what they mean. So I want to share a quote from Francois de Troyes. He is the translator of the Mirror Bible that we do refer to a lot here at Genesis to help bring a fuller meaning to these words for us. He says, The Bible records how the invisible engineer of the universe found expression of his image and likeness in visible form in human life. When God imagined you, he imagined a being whose intimate friendship would intrigue him for eternity. Mankind would be partner in God's triune oneness. His image and likeness would be unmasked in human life. Adam, you and I are the image of God unmasked. We are the visible, tangible expression of an invisible God. That is who we are. God took his image his inner essence, who he is, and unmasked it in the world by creating us. That is what it means to be made in his image and likeness. He wanted to give tangible, visible form to who he is, and so he created us. 
That is no small thing to be made in the image and likeness of God. Now, do those words sound familiar? Visible, tangible expression? It's metamorphosis. We are the result of the very first metamorphosis. It's the process of creation. God taking what was inside of him, his very nature, which is love, and giving a visible, tangible form to it. This is who we are, and this is the very thing that Adam lost sight of. You see, the sin of Adam wasn't pride ascending, but of identity falling. This blinding to who he really was. The serpent got him to believe that he was just a caterpillar, when he is the butterfly of God's metamorphosis. And that blinding, the belief that he was less than, that he was inferior to, that God kept things from him, that God was holding out on him, that he wasn't one with God but separate from him, it affected everything. This belief in a false, shame-filled, fearful identity rippled down through the ages, and it still has a way of affecting us today. It's the same lie I tell myself when I say that I'm not good enough, that I don't know enough, The very moment I try and spread my wings to break out of my cocoon, I get bombarded with the lie that I am just a caterpillar. And everybody knows that caterpillars can't fly. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this lie? Well, what was God's answer to the fall? Because it's the same lie, the same deception, the same problem. And we know that religion doesn't make it any better. In fact, it just comes up with crafty ways to reinforce that lie. I was raised with religion, with crafty ways of trying to be better, to do better, to earn God's love, to earn his favor, to try and be more like him. That's what I was taught. The Bible, you know, a lot of it, even as a child, it's taught as a moral lesson that every time we read a a story, you know, especially in the Old Testament, Um, the point of reading it is to try and draw out some sort of right and wrong lesson. That's what religion does. When in fact, the Bible is a mirror that we are to look into, see God for who he is, and see ourselves reflected back to us in that mirror. That's how we are to approach the Bible. Not as a moralist, of moral lessons, they're in there, and they're good, and we can definitely apply them to our lives. But that's not the reason that we read the word. That's not the reason God gave the word to us. So what was God's answer to the fall? It's one word, and I just want someone to shout it out. Yes, Jesus, right? I know, it's like there's no wrong answers. It's the classic Sunday school answer. Jesus, the Savior, He took on human flesh and became one of us. He was always Emmanuel, God with us, but now he is God as us. Do you see that it's the same process of metamorphosis that created us, that the Father used to birth Jesus into this world? Jesus is the visible, tangible expression of God. He is God. And now I'm not saying that we're God, 
But with this metamorphosis thing in mind, doesn't it make you think that we've got a whole lot more in common with Jesus than we might have previously thought? So Jesus is God, and we are his creation. And we have our own unique spirits and identities. But we have both been given a form by the Father to express the visible, tangible essence of God, which is love. Both of us, in the same way, are the metamorphosis of God. And what the Savior came to rescue and redeem was his image and likeness in us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us what God looks like, what love looks like. And his mission was to redeem that same image of God in us. Through the life he lived, the death he died, and the life he was raised to, we have been redeemed. We once deemed ourselves as caterpillars, like worms, but now we have been redeemed as the metamorphosis of God. So what we think about ourselves matters, and while this is true, it is what God thinks about you that actually defines you, and we can't lose sight of that. You see, God has always known who we are. He's never had this fall of identity problem that we've had. And he has taken the fallen image that we have of ourselves. Again, he never had that problem. He's always known that we're butterflies. He's never thought less of us. We're the ones that have had the problem, right? We're the ones that are born into that original sin of thinking that we are lesser than we are, than he made us. He's taken that fallen image and redeemed us. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 A paraphrase from the Mirror Bible says this. There was a time of suspense when everything we saw was merely mirrored in the prophetic word, like an enigma. But then, when I became an adult in the revelation of Christ, I gaze face to face that I may know me, even as I have always been known. He's always known who we are. And we gaze face to face that we may know ourselves. So when we are about to break out of our cocoons and the doubt floods in, we gaze into the face of Jesus that we may know who we are. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with new understanding, see ourselves in him as in a mirror. Thus we are changed from an inferior mindset to the revealed opinion of our true origin. We look in the mirror and see ourselves in him. He died and lives to show us who we are. Jesus is, and we are, the visible, tangible expression of the love of God, just by being ourselves, exactly who God made us to be, with our quirks and our unique personalities, our hang-ups, our issues, our past, all of it. He didn't make a mistake when he chose you to be an expression of his love. He designed you on purpose and for a purpose. So what I'm telling myself is no more excuses, no more doubt. And, you know, I have one more thing to say about doubt because it really has, I think, been the thing that has crippled me Um, from moving forward uh, and being who God created me to be. And, you know, I think about people... um, like Mother Teresa or Heidi Baker, 
or this girl, um, Katie Davis, you know, that I read this book about. And I, I put them in a whole other category, I think. I mean, Mother Teresa is a saint, right? I mean, she has just been elevated. Like, there's something special about her. There is something so unique about this person that stands out. And so I do the same thing with myself to say, but I'm, I mean, I don't have that. They have some special gift from God or some special ability or some special faith or they're just different from me. I'm just not made like that. I'm not, I'm not built like that. When in fact, if you, I mean, if you talk to any of them, and Katie Davis talks about in her book, um, again, a 19-year-old girl who adopts 13 children, <laughs> um, they say they're just normal. They're just like anybody else. Heidi Baker, she says, I'm just like you. I'm just the same. She was just a girl raised in California. They just said yes to God. They just believed what God said and then acted on it. They took that thing on the inside of them, agreed with it, and then showed a visible, tangible expression of the love of God that that we get to see and we admire and just think is so amazing. So I want to just look a little more deeply at the word doubt to try and understand what's going on here because, like I said, it's crippled me. So this word doubt, um, diacrino, I'm not Greek, so I don't really know how to say that. This is from um, the word doubt in the New Testament, diacrino. Um, It's also translated as this word, to judge. Okay, so you can find that same word in the New Testament. You look it up. Some some places it's used doubt. Other places, it's the word to judge. So when we doubt who God says that we are, and the things that He has put on our heart to do, we are judging what He has said, and then we decide if we're going to agree or disagree with what God says about us. And what is judgment? But going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We say, God, I know you say that I am love and that I have everything inside of me to do the things you're calling me to do. I have a scripture up in in my living room that I see multiple times a day. With God, all things are possible, right? Yeah. Um, But what I end up saying to myself is that, but I know that I'm just not good enough. I'm just not enough. This thing is way bigger than me. This thing takes more than, than what I have to give. So doubt in these matters isn't just, you know, questioning or maybe waiting for clarification on something. Um, it's taking something that God has clearly defined. Remember, he has defined who we are, and he is very clear and very decided. His mind is made up about that. So much so that he sent his son as one of us. We take that, and we go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And using that, we decide if we agree with God or not. So we have got to stop the cycle of going back to that tree. There is another tree in the garden. It's the tree of life. And when God says something about us that is hard to believe, that we struggle with, we're to go to that tree and to gaze into the face of Jesus. I have one more scripture about this. It's James 1, 23 to 25. The difference between a mere spectator and a participator is that both of them hear the same voice and perceive in its message the face of their own genesis reflected as in a mirror. They realize that they are looking at themselves, but for the one it seems 
just too good to be true. This person departs back to the old way of seeing himself and immediately forgets what manner of person he is, never giving another thought to the one he saw there in the mirror. The other one is mesmerized by what he sees, captivated by the effect of a law that frees a person from the obligation to the old written code that restricted one to their own efforts and willpower. No distraction or contradiction can dim the impact of what he sees in the mirror concerning the law of perfect liberty that now frees everyone to get on with the act of living the life of their own original design. They find a new spontaneous lifestyle, the poetry of practical living. That's, that's the two responses, the old tree and the new tree, right there. So let's not be spectators. I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I want to be a participator in this metamorphosis that God has created. I want to spread my wings and break out of my cocoon and get on with living the life of my original design. And you know, I had an opportunity about a month ago to choose to be a participator instead of a spectator. Like I said, I've been spreading my wings a little bit. And see, Genesis partners with an organization called Growing Home that offers crisis housing to families. So we open up the church for one to three weeks at a time for these families to come and eat dinner and actually sleep in the church. So we have three bedrooms that are set up and we have a host room um, in our nursery for the host to sleep in. And it's an amazing program. But there came a situation where one of the weeks we were scheduled to host families was going to be canceled due to a lack of volunteers. And I just had this knowing, this belief, that this was something that I could step into and do for about four nights. I just knew, like, something was different. A transformation had happened. Um, where before, you know, I just looked at all the reasons why I couldn't do it. The biggest one being the fact that I have kids and they would have to sleep here with me. And, I mean, it's enough for me just to get my own kids fed and put to bed at the end of the day, regardless of worrying about three other families. I think there was nine other children that were here at the time. Um, and they had school. Like, school's out now, but we had school. So my kids, you know, I mean, we got homework in the evenings. You got to get a good night's sleep. You got to get up in the morning, get dressed, eat breakfast. And I got to get my school, kids to school on time. Like that's my, that's my number one priority. That's my job is to make sure that those things are done first. And so it just always seemed like this thing that, well, I just, you know, I can serve in other ways. So I'm a facilitator where I help people, um, you know, understand the alarm system in the building and how to, to do the cleaning before they leave. That was my, my place that I felt like I could serve. But I just knew that there was something more inside of me that I could give. And so um, I spent four nights at the church here with my kids. And it was because I heard something that just flipped things around for me. And it was, Catherine, turn your excuse into your reason why. So instead of my kids being my excuse they became the reason why I would step out and do this thing. Because I want them to witness and to be a part of visible, tangible expressions of love as a way of life. This is how I want to raise my kids. And even though it's, it might be harder because I have them with me, 
I knew, God told me that I had it in me to do this thing. And I believed it. So with Heath's help, we did it. We spread our wings and we flew. And it was the unknown and it was challenging. And I had a mini emotional breakdown on day four because it was a lot (laughs) to handle. Um, But with it even came the spontaneous, this spontaneous lifestyle where uh, a man who lives on the streets named Greg came by because it was snowing and cold out. And he had nowhere to stay, and he, you know, saw that the lights were on at the church. And so he came by. Um, And so I was able to spend an hour talking with him and helped him to find a a warm place where he could stay and sent him away with blankets and a warm meal and just a totally unexpected thing that wasn't on my list of something that I was prepared to do. Um, And there were hard conversations that we had with him, things that I, you know, previously doubt would have said, Catherine, you can't handle this conversation. This is like out of your depth. You know, he's dealing with some things that are pretty major. There's depression, there's suicide, there's big stuff going on here. You know, I don't know what to say to those things. How do I even respond? But it was spontaneous because I had stepped into something, because I said yes, because I was being a visible, tangible expression of the love of God. And God is all about that. And so I was able to spread my wings and, and fly in that moment in a spontaneous way. And it was, it was an amazing treasure for me, you know, just to even be part of that. And, and Greg is on my mind. And I know that there are, um, there's more to that story there. I just know that there is. Because God is a good God. And so I hope this morning that you've been encouraged to believe what God says about you, about what you can do to break out of your cocoon in the unique way that only you can to spread your wings and fly. So I want to close with prayer. Lord, we don't want to keep going back to that tree in the garden where we judge ourselves and others using right and wrong. We want to let that go, leave that behind, and trust what you say about us. If you've given us a vision, an idea, a promise, a goal, We believe, God, that we already have everything within us to step into that thing. And though it may be uncomfortable and unknown, we know that we were made for this very thing, that we are visible, tangible expressions of the love of God. And so God, Nina, you know, got up and had a word this morning about revelation, about you speaking answers and direction. And I just pray now again just for a release of vision, for this bursting, for this pressure from the inside to lead us to visible, tangible expressions of your love. We believe that we are the metamorphosis of God, that who you are, we are in a visible, tangible form. And then you have gifted us and enabled us already with everything that we need. And so we trust you now as we step out into the things you've called us to be and the things you called us to do. For we know that you're with us and in us. We love you, God.